What is up, ADHDers and Aspies alike? Today on Inside the Asperger Studios, I'm going to be talking with Anna Granata, all the way from England. She is an ADHD, AASD, and a neurodiverse life coach. We'll talk everything ADHD and ASD and all about her coaching styles and why she got into it, amongst other things in this show. So stay tuned, and I'll catch you right there. And welcome to another edition of Inside the Asperger Studios. I'm joined today with Anna Graga, who is a ADHD life coach all the way from England. Welcome to the show, Anna. Hi, thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Let me ask you, first of all, how did you get into uh, ADHD life coaching? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so... I think it was a little bit of what we would probably call burnout um, that led me to leave my my career in tech, where I, I had a successful career as a machine learning engineer and a manager and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I just decided I really I really needed a change. It wasn't I was wearing too many hats and I couldn't juggle all of the things. Um, so I I left my corporate job and I trained originally to as a general life coach. Um, and this was pre-pandemic when people were meeting face-to-face and I was having clients come into my, my office. Um, and what happened was there were no ADHD coaches in my area mm. and people weren't doing the kind of remote coaching like we're doing now. Um, so a couple of women came to me with ADHD and they said, well, we have heard that we should have coaching for our ADHD, but we can't find an ADHD coach. You know, will you um, help us? Um, so it's like, sure that sounds interesting do something new and a bit different that sounds exciting I didn't know I had ADHD at this point um so I I researched um all about ADHD so that I could be supporting these women and and as I was reading it like it all just sounded so familiar and and I could really identify with these women and understand what they were going through um and so through the course of doing this I came to realize of course I have ADHD myself um, so then at that point, I took some more ADHD specific um, courses to kind of learn about, you know, the structure of our brains and all of that good science um, and haven't looked back since, really. So you do have ADHD. How do you yeah. deal with it yourself? Um, sure. So and part of it is about doing the, the work that I do, right? So um Coaching is great because I get to mix exciting talking to people and getting energy with like doing deep research and like alone time when nobody is interrupting me. Um, and, and that balance kind of fuels my brain, but also kind of stops it from going to, um, you know, too, too overwhelmed, really. Um I think I find goal setting is really helpful. Um, so every three months I sit down and I do my quarterly goals. So we're nearly at the end of Q2 now. So I've started to kind of think about what my Q3 goals are going to be for this year. Um, because 
that that planning doesn't come naturally to us when we have ASD, right? So I find it's really helpful to have a, a process and a structure around doing that um, and, and a timeline for doing it, right? Because later means never. So I have a, a specific time to do my planning. Um, what else? I mean, a bunch of stuff that I just... Um, wherever I can just have like a, a simple default thing that I do and I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. There's kind of those routines that take away the weight of decision making, right? Because it's exhausting to make decisions all day long. Um, so from when I wake up until um, I've eaten breakfast, there's about an hour where I know exactly what I'm going to do, right? Because it takes that long for my brain to get going and at the end of that hour, you know, I'm out of bed, I'm dressed, I've had breakfast and I'm ready to get going. Uh, and I haven't had to make any decisions in that time. Have you had to deal with um, racing thoughts at all? Racing thoughts, yeah. Um, rumination. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what do I do about that? <laughs> So one one thing that helps if it's kind of, if the thoughts are worries basically, which for a long time for me they were right. I, I used to be really um, very anxious. Um, is to to have a box that they go in, and what I mean by a box is a time in your week that you set aside mm-hmm. to worry about the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's that balance between you don't want to spend your whole week worrying because that's exhausting and unproductive. But if you try and just ignore the worries and stuff them down too hard, Mm -hmm. they come back up with more force, right? Um, And so I found that it was realistic to say to myself, okay, we're not going to worry about this right now. We're worrying about it on Wednesday morning. Whereas it wasn't realistic to say, just don't worry about it. That sounds like an interesting idea. Put your worries off to a certain day. And then in that day, you, you, you're you able to concentrate on the worries alone and just get them out of the way. Yeah, yeah. And, and writing stuff down is really helpful as well. But I think sometimes when we have kind of weak working memory, we, we send things around and around in our heads because that's the only way we have to not forget it. Um, and if you can write it down, then you can say to yourself, I'm not going to forget it. It's written down. Um, and then it sort of goes <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah i mean my biggest issue is my mind is constantly going and it's hard to shut it off do you have that like where you're you have the thoughts just constantly coming into your head and it's hard to like quiet your mind to where you have problems sleeping um, I definitely know what you mean. I don't have it so much now, but I've definitely had kind of periods where I have it. Um, and I think with hindsight, it happens when I'm bored, right? Mm. And it's my brain's way of going, like, I'm understimulated. Oh. Let's think of 10 million exciting plans that we can go and do to make our life more exciting because I'm really bored right now. Um And so I think one of the things that helps is to get enough stimulation in the day. So, um, you know, my job is is now quite stimulating because I get to talk to interesting people like you and that 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 kind of feeds that need, as it were, um, which then means that I less frequently get those things where I'm just like in planning overdrive of like things I'm never going to actually carry out. But my brain is just throwing ideas um, Mm. out. So 
I find and I think I think planning helps because then I know kind of what I should be thinking about and I know that there is something interesting happening but I've narrowed the field Mm -hmm. as it were I've said like we're focusing for these three months on this area so brain go ahead and come up with interesting plans in this area instead of you know in the whole of space because there is no limit to the ideas that we can think of if if kind of let it be. Um, but when I have been in those periods where my brain is just, you know, all the things, um, what I found helpful is if I'm if I'm not sleeping, to get out of bed mm-hmm. and go and do something really quite boring. <laughs> so I crochet. Um, so and I'll sit there and I don't mean make something interesting. I mean just like, you know, rows and rows on a blanket that are very similar. Um, just to talk, like to to shift state so not to stay in the same place but to go to a different room and do something a bit different um to try and kind of calm my brain down and um realize that I'm tired before going back to bed because it's horrible when you're just lying and your thoughts are going and you want to be asleep yeah but I know you just that can't. Feeling like way too well I mean there are times yeah. where I'll be laying in bed and I just a million thoughts would just be going through my head and it'll be like how do I how do I quiet it down? And it's just like, I can't. So my mom's always said, you know, you should just get out of bed and read a book or something. And what's funny is with me, it's where my mom can sit there at nine o'clock at night and read a book. I can't, my mind is just so tired. I just can't focus. My focus isn't there. Yeah. So it's- yeah and I, for, for me, it's the crochet that's that right balance of like, I don't need to think about yeah. it, but it's just kind of stimulating enough that my brain is occupied on something. Yeah. Now, what is a typical session look like for you when you have a client come in? Um, yeah, so um, each session will have a different topic. Um, and then a, a session is kind of split between talking about what's happening in the client's life, any kind of situations maybe that have come up recently that they want to talk through. Um, Sometimes it's that sort of, this happened and they said this, what did they mean when they said that, you know, that translation Mm -hmm. piece? Um, um, And then talking about the topic. So that might be something like routines and we'll talk about how routines show up in the client's life, what they would like to be different about that. Um, and then I kind of explain the the theory a little bit about how routines, if that's what we're doing, relates to ADHD, if that's what they have, or um, ASD or dyslexia. Um, and then make a plan for what they're going to do differently over the next uh, week and continuing on. So it's that balance between there's some structure. I come with a topic and that gets the conversation started because okay. if you just turn up and I say to you, how was your week? What do you want to talk about? You might look at me like, uh, I don't know. My mind went blank the second you asked me that question. But if I say, OK, we're talking about routines that can then spark ideas in your head. And as I start talking, that kind of generates ideas in your head. You start talking and we can follow those tangents that come up for you. But we need a place to start the conversation. Yeah, that's I've been through therapy before, and that seems to be the bigger issue is when you're at a therapist as as opposed to like a coach. Therapy goes, what do you, therapist goes, what do you want to talk about? 
and you just go blank and you just can't think of anything where a life coach will have that idea to spark a conversation. I mean, I myself have a life, an ASD life coach, and he always starts off with, so how's your day been? Or let's talk about this. What's bothering you? So he knows how, where to start that conversation. And then we just go off on, we, like you said, you follow that tangent and try to figure out where that trouble lies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, what kind of advice would you give somebody who can't get themselves on, like, say, ADHD medicine and is struggling with things like concentration and focus? Yeah, um, I have this kind of metaphor that I use, which is activation energy. And so if you think that kind of you need a certain amount of energy to get started on a task, um, when we have ADHD, that barrier is higher mm-hmm. at the get-go, right? Because we have fewer dopamine receptors and dopamine is the hormone that gives us that get up and, yeah. and get started. And we're at a natural disadvantage. So because we're at a natural disadvantage, number one, don't be hard on yourself. It is not your fault. Your brain is the way it is. Um, and number two, do everything that you can to make that smaller, Um, And that might mean splitting tasks up into smaller pieces, getting everything, all the equipment ready before you start the task, being really clear about what the actual purpose of the task is. There's a whole bunch of different kind of strategies that I talk people through. But the basic idea is make it easier to get started because you're not imagining that it's hard like it is hard. Right. That makes pretty much sense. I mean, because like I have a friend, I mean, that's the reason I brought up that question, who was on ADHD medicine and they took him off because of prior health issues. And now he is so he's always been down on himself because he deals with severe depression. And I'm always trying to lift him back up saying, listen, don't be hard on yourself. It's not your fault. But he's always just so hard on himself. Yeah, and it's tough because um, neurodivergent children growing up, we hear many more negative messages about ourselves compared to neurotypical children. And so, you know, almost universally, my clients have some kind of problem around self-esteem, self-compassion. And so that's, you know, we talk about the strategies for getting started, routines, all of that good stuff, sure. But I also like to talk about self-compassion and this kind of thing, because I think it's really relevant to um, neurodivergency and, you know, those of of you with ASD in particular, that link between the brain and the body is weaker. And so even just knowing what you're feeling in order to acknowledge and respect it is more challenging. It takes more practice to identify your feelings. Um, And then, you know, as children, if we were taught, don't have those big fast feelings because of course with ADHD we have big fast feelings and that's inconvenient mm-hmm. for the grown-ups around us you know then that that kind of increases I think that disconnect between us and our feelings and actually you know any therapist will tell you feelings are never wrong they just are yeah. right it's 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 how you express them that matters but um you shouldn't ever feel that your feelings are wrong um yeah so that's another part of the, the work that I do have you ever had any client who's almost 
stubborn enough or reluctant enough to like take your advice because they're unsure of themselves and unsure of the advice? Um, so, I mean, obviously people come to me, I'm not imposing myself on people. So there has to be a certain level to check with somebody. Um, occasionally I work with people who kind of, it's come through their work, Mm -hmm. um, like their work thinks that they should work with me. Um, but I always then check, like, is the individual, if somebody just, you know, didn't want to change, like then, um, coaching isn't, isn't going to be beneficial. Um, but that said, obviously there are people who, who might hear certain pieces of advice and think like, that's, that's not for me. That, that doesn't feel right. Um, and that, that happens, um, very often, you know, we don't like to be told what to do. And so it's not my role to tell people what to do. It's my role to maybe provide a menu of, of possibilities and to ask questions to help my clients understand where is the pain point and how can they work that out? You know, because if somebody says, I don't want to change, you know, it's either because that that change isn't right for them and they need a different option, or it's because they haven't fully understood the pain that that's causing in their life. And then we need to talk a little bit more about that and make that clear to them. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, have you dealt with both ASD and ADHD type clients? Yeah, um, absolutely. And the reason that I am a neurodivergent coach rather than just an ADHD coach is because I do believe that most people have more than one type of neurodivergence and um, they might not know that when they come to me. Um, But it's um, quite rare in my experience for somebody to just have, um, say, ASD, you know, especially people who are diagnosed as an adult often have ADHD and ASD. So I have a number of clients who have both. Have you had a client come to you who's had ASD and then for your sessions, you've discovered, oh, wait a minute, part of your problem may be you have ASD as well. And they're like, wait, and then they're just like a light bulb goes off and they're like, that may explain why they have certain mannerisms and attitudes and how they see things differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it happens both ways around. And, and sometimes it happens that as, as one aspect, it kind of is brought under more control. Maybe someone goes on ADHD medication and then they become more aware of their ASD traits or, you know, I'm working with somebody on ASD coaching and they sort of start to feel like they've got more of a handle on that aspect of their um, themselves. And then maybe they sort of start to notice what's left more and that that might be the ADHD. Have you had any challenging clients who have had either one or the other who who are just so unsure why they're acting the way they do but they feel they may have one or the other? Um, you mean clients where it's not clear well, Claire, which one like, they yeah, have? Yeah, they're just unclear that they, they feel they may have ADHD or ASD, but they're so unsure, but they come to you to help find that clarification. Um, I think when people come to me, they tend to be fairly clear on at least part of the picture, right? Because if someone is really unsure, they're probably not and sometimes I have kind of discovered like initial calls with people who seem quite unsure still, but they rarely are then wanting to commit yeah. actually to coaching. 
What is the hardest thing for you about being a coach? Um, I think the, so there, there are two, right? One of the hardest things is putting myself out there as like the public face of my business. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I recently launched relaunched my group coaching program and it's just a lot of like talking about myself and how great I am which I hate doing it's really <laughs> uncomfortable for me um so that's that's kind of one of the hardest things um on a practical level I really struggle with scheduling like just somehow going from time like talking to a person to putting the time in my calendar it sounds so simple and yet every time my brain just ties itself in knots um yeah yeah now what life stages do people come to see you oh yeah that's a, a really interesting question as well um i think with the pandemic i've been seeing more people from all stages of life right because um i think what often happens is when somebody is under stress they realize that they have adhd or asd where maybe they'd been able to kind of hide it up until that point with the pandemic we're all under stress right so pre-pandemic it was mainly um people who become parents recently and we're dealing with those added stresses um, or people who either were kind of planning for a promotion and it wasn't quite happening and they didn't quite understand why or had recently been promoted and now they have a bunch of new responsibilities and they feel overwhelmed. Um, Now, we talked earlier about this, but... ADHD and memory, how do they play hand in hand with each other? Sure. Um, So I think with ADHD often comes weak working memory. Um, I have dyslexia as well as ADHD. So my personal experience, it's always hard for me to kind of figure out what's dyslexia and what's ADHD. Um, But I know how I support myself with both. And I know that many of my ADHD clients who don't have dyslexia find the same things helpful. Um, And really it's accepting that my short-term memory is poor and externalizing things wherever possible. So um, rather than taxing my memory, trying to remember what I need to buy from the shop, I will write a list of what I need to buy from the shop. Um, Rather than trying to remember what appointments I've got, I write them all down. Um, So, you know, that is really helpful. But then, of course, it's no good to write them down and not check. So I need to have routines around regularly checking um, the kind of external sources that that hold my memory, as it were. Um, So habits about um, note taking during Mm -hmm. meetings. So I always have a pad for notes ready to go at the start of a meeting. I take my notes in there and then I always give myself time at the end of a meeting to then go and put those notes somewhere useful right so part of my notes will be like random musings that help me stay on topic but I don't need to keep them and part of it will be like this is the action that I've agreed and this is the date that I said I'd do it by and that needs to then go in the task tracking system right Um, so taking that time to to take the notes and then process the notes yeah how are you with like scheduling yourself I mean like are you good at following a schedule once you have it written down or do you need to like 
have an app to help you follow that schedule? Um, so I think with, with schedules and ADHD, we need a certain amount of flexibility so that we feel like we're in control no. because we can really resist anything that feels like it's controlling uh-huh. us. Um, and kind of similarly with schedules, I think wherever possible, they should be based on kind of our internal readiness mm-hmm. rather than clock time. So what I mean by this is say you you want to remember to brush your teeth in the evening and you want to have a better bedtime routine um, instead of setting a clock or a reminder for you know 9 p.m go and brush your teeth it would be think about what you're already doing in the evening um, maybe put a sign on the bathroom door with a list of all the things that you want to do as you're getting ready for bed and then you see the list as you're going through the door as you're ready to do it not as the clock chimes, whatever time it is. Um, and so it feels like less of an imposition because it's not interrupting you and forcing you. It's it's more natural. It's kind of, you're almost there. Just don't forget the last bit. Interesting. Um, how long do clients normally come to see you for? I mean, do they, do you say you get, do you set a standard schedule with them and then let them decide or do you decide when they're ready and if they feel like they're ready to take on the world? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I normally recommend 12 sessions and that can either be weekly or fortnightly. So either three months or six months um, up to the client, how, how fast they want to go versus how much time they want to kind of process and apply. Um, and then that's kind of the program, as it were, like the the kind of the main tools and strategies that um, are going to be useful for that client is is tailored to the client. It's not that everybody gets the same 12, but I've found that 12 is is usually the right number. Um, and then after that, you know, it's it's up to them if they feel like they're ready to go on and, and take on the world. then that's great. Um, some clients at that point then go for um like a monthly or a quarterly, just kind of check in where it's less of a topic and it's more of a, how have you been applying what we already talked about kind of a conversation. Have you had clients come back happy and thank you for all your help? Because now life seems to be falling right where, how they want it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that happens a lot. And that's kind of my motivation to keep going really. Um, and I have some of my testimonials on my website and my Instagram. So, um, yeah, if, in fact, I have um, a post on my website, which is what what does ADHD coaching do, which is like a Q&A with some of my previous clients on kind of where they were at before, what changes happened and where they're at now. So if you're sort of wondering, you know, what could ADHD coaching do for you? That's a, a great place to look. Well, that kind of answers the last question is that's one of the things that you get that um, you enjoy about coaching is just getting those positive feedbacks back because it kind of boosts you up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all we all have positive feedback, don't we? And to feel like what we're doing has a makes a difference for people. 
Um, so I, most of my career up until coaching was in tech. Um, and even when I felt like I was working on something good, for example, I worked on fraud prevention for a while, like fraud is bad, less fraud is good. It's very impersonal, right? It's all about big numbers. So it was like, but you never meet the person who wasn't defrauded because of your work. Um, and so as I got older, I've kind of realized that for me, that personal connection is really important. So not just to be doing something that's kind of good abstractly, but to know and, and understand and have a relationship with the people that I'm helping. For me, it's really motivating. Um, yeah, so I, I love that about coaching. I love the flexibility as well that, um, you know, I don't have to work nine till five, five days a week because I have ADHD and I also have some chronic health issues and I, you know, I can't do that anymore. Um, so it's really helpful for me that I can choose how many clients to have in a, in a given week yeah. and sort of pace myself um, that way. And I love the mix of, of talking to people, which I find really energizing, but then also being able to do this sort of deep focused learning, producing materials. I quite like that sort of design element of how can I share what I know with other people. And of course, you can do that alone. <laughs> so it's that balance between yeah, talking to interesting people, but also having plenty of time alone. That's kind of what I get out of doing my podcast. I used to, I mean, like you, I was in the tech field as well for a long time. I was, I worked for an ISP for a year and a half until they got downsized. Um, and then I couldn't find work after that. So I started volunteering and then the places that I volunteered at just didn't know how to deal with someone like me. So the first place let me go. They gave me three warnings. I mean, I tried to change my ways, but they just let me go. And the second place was the same warning all three times was you're standing too close to the other volunteers. And then my reaction was, why didn't they tell me and, not, and go to you? And the supervisor's like, they don't want, no one likes confrontation. I'm like, that makes no sense. You got to confront somebody to tell them they're standing too close going by telling the supervisor and then the supervisor coming back to you later. It's like smacking the dog on the nose after they do something wrong. Yeah, we do. Um, we do learn much better from immediate feedback, yeah. although I can I can also see that. Um, from that person's point of view, if they're already feeling uncomfortable, they maybe actually don't want to kind of confront you yeah. I guess it's tricky now what suggestions do you have for me on memory wise because like I we talked earlier with me memory things I read or do doesn't seem to I don't know if it's there and I have trouble retrieving it or if it's gone forever yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. So um, with dyslexia particularly, I think what we have is a very narrative or visual memory rather than a fact-based memory. So I, I talk about um, my memory is not a filing cabinet. Like you can't look up 
facts and to pick them out of the filing cabinet. Um, it's link based, right? Um, so you can say, you can't say to me, you know, what did we discuss in the meeting last Tuesday? Because I go in the filing cabinet to look up meeting last Tuesday, the filing cabinet is empty. <laughs> it's not there. But if you say, do you remember that time that we were talking about this project and this person? And what did we say? I can remember everything, but I can't access it by the same label i have to access it by the stuff that matters to me which is people and their stories okay so kind of it's more on it's there but it's how you retrieve it yeah and and some stuff is there and some stuff isn't right so like a conversation is there but i can't necessarily retrieve it in the normal way um but if you tell me like a bunch of dates they're not there because it's just a for me it's very boring yeah. because it doesn't connect yeah. to a story or something that i care about and when it's when it's boring it just doesn't go in yeah i mean that's what someone else had told me is with adhd is our minds only focus on what we have a particular interest in otherwise it just goes in and out it doesn't yeah. stick. Yeah. And if you do have information that you need to learn, um, I think flashcards are really helpful because with flashcards, you can look at them all the time. Um, so I've got an app on my phone called Anki app, which is free put flashcards in it and then I can check it several times a day. Like every time I want to go on Twister and waste time, I can check the flashcards first and go through them really quickly because it's that frequent reminder yeah. that eventually gets something into our memory. Because I think what we don't really have is a short-term memory, right? We have a long-term memory. And it, it takes a lot of repetition to get a fact into your long-term memory. Once it's there, it's there for good. You know, I can remember people's phone numbers from 20 years ago, but I can't remember my husband's phone number now. <laughs> like, because I learned those things and they've stayed. But it takes a lot of repetition, more than it would take in your yeah, typical I mean, person. I mean, that kind of reminds me of a story I was told when I was younger by my parents is, my father was trying to teach me our phone number and he would say your phone number is four six five four eight seven six and my and i couldn't repeat it back and then he'd break it down he'd say your phone number is 465 4486 and i was able to repeat that and at that point i realized i can't memorize just strings of numbers but i can memorize i can remember longer and bigger numbers yeah yeah and um, anything kind of visual or putting it to a song right so when I was a kid I couldn't remember the days of the week or like what order they went in until I had a teacher um, when so this would be like yes three which would be when I was about eight um who made me do this dance and song and and every week for several weeks the whole class would do this like dance where we would kind of grab each other's hands and sing the days of the week presumably all the other kids had known the days of the week for quite a long time but I didn't and it was only by the combination of movement and song and repetition that I was able to finally get them in their orders and yeah. get them to stay in their orders. I mean, what's, what's funny is I can remember bits and pieces of the past, but anything current, I won't be able to remember until maybe years years go by. Yeah. 
which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my parents can tell me stories that happened when I was a child, but I myself can't remember that even happening. And they're like, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, that did happen. Yeah. It's uncomfortable sometimes. Yes. To almost feels like a vulnerability that you have to trust other people's recollection. Mm-hmm. I mean, there I've had people say, you've done this before, Reed, and I'm like, I don't remember that. Or I can't even mm-hmm. remember something I've done that day or the day before. So a friend will say, you know, you've done this before. And I'm like, I don't remember. But what's yeah. funny with reading is if I read a book and then I'll stop somewhere and then I'll totally forget about it for months and then I can go back and I'll almost start to reread it and I'm like, I remember reading this paragraph. So my money yeah. memory kinds of acts weird. Yeah, and I think that's that narrative memory versus sort of fact-based mm-hmm. memory or like putting stuff in order, which is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyways, Anna, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure thank to meet you, you me. and talk to you. And let's keep in touch with each other. Yeah. And I wish you all the best. Same here. And good luck with your practice. Thank you. You're very welcome. Really good to talk to you. Yeah, it was nice talking to you too.